Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. It sounds kind of strange to be looking at all these individuals that Paul has been mentioning in this last few verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, we're looking at verses uh, 9 through 22. What uh, way I have approached this is just to look at these individuals and try to paint a little bit of a picture of personality around them, uh, what they're maybe going through, what they're some of the things that we know about them. And uh, I've had to kind of read between the lines of some of them. That'll be true with the person that we're looking at today. But um, in this passage of these individuals, as Paul is, here's this man, this apostle, one of the greatest men who ever lived, a man who gave his life unreservedly to share the gospel and to reach people, and to proclaim Christ. And because of that commitment, he's in prison right now under Nero. Uh, he's going to be executed. And uh, so here's one of the greatest men suffering one of the one of the most uncomfortable and unpleasant situations in a very, not just a prison, but a dirty prison place. He's chained, a place that uh, he's dependent on his friends to kind of support him and bring whatever he needs. Uh, and in the middle of that, he is sharing with his uh, Timothy, a young man, he's been cycling a little bit and kind of worked with him with the church at Ephesus. And uh, he's been deserted by a lot of his friends. So he's going through a difficult, difficult time. And in that letter, he's writing to Timothy because of his concern, not only for Timothy, but for the church to which Timothy is like a pastor. So he's uh, saying, giving just a kind of a quick reminder of different individuals whose lives he's touched. And so we've gone through those individuals, and I have sort of grouped them together in groups of commonality. Their first would be a group of associates that were faithful. Uh, friends of his, faithful to the ministry and stuff like that. We just kind of pull those together and look at one at a time. And then there was this guy, Demas, who was not faithful and uh, who abandoned the work. And uh, we looked at him a little bit and spent a, a session on him. And then there was this guy, Mark, who had been with Paul, who's a Barnabas's cousin, um, that he'd worked with him on the first missionary journey. He bailed out. And come the second missionary journey, Barnes, Barnabas wanted to take his cousin with him again. And uh, Mark and Paul said no, and they would not do it. So there was a rift between the group. And so he was later restored, and he, Mark, became a writer, an author. Uh, Peter had influence in his life, and he became a writer and author of one of the Gospels. So God really used him. He was restored. And then we saw Alexander, who was an enemy of the work. We looked at him. And then last, last time we began to look at some associates who were former friends, and he's just saying, I greet you there at that church. The first was a couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. All met Priscilla and Aquila there at the church at Corinth. They were tent makers as he was, and uh, they had been kicked out of Rome and ended up in Corinth, over a thousand miles away. Um, and in that church, they, they uh, in the synagogue, probably, we don't know for sure, but I think it was probably how they met Paul in the synagogue. And uh, they were discipled by Paul. They invited Paul to stay with them and uh, in their house, and Paul worked with them. And they had risked a lot to help Paul. Paul says uh, in Romans 16 that they had fellow workers and for their 
they risked their lives to, for his sake, his welfare. And then Paul, when he goes from Corinth to Ephesus, crossing the sea, GNC, he takes Priscilla and with him, or they go with him, and uh, they are there in the church at Ephesus, and that's one of the places he's there quite a while, and they minister to him, and they are active there. It's in that church where they, there's a, a Jew, an Alexandrian Jew by the name of Alexander, by the name of Apollos, that is an eloquent preacher, and he's preaching, and they realize that there are a few things about his theology he's a little bit confused about, so they take him aside, they help him disciple, which says a lot about them, because obviously Paul did disciple them, and they learned a lot from Paul, so anyway, to make a long story short, 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 these are two very good friends of Paul that he is greeting. Now we come to another person by the name of Onesiphorus, and uh, it just since in, in verse 19, it says, Greet Persona Aquila, comma, and the household of Onesiphorus. That's an Asian name. Um, that name actually means prophet bringer. Um, it's a strange thing to have a name like that, especially an Asian name that you would have a name that describes something of your vocation or something of your abilities. That was common in the New Testament for slaves. It's, uh, it's a lot of times, well, if you'll forgive me using an illustration of football, I think of um, several years ago, there's a player for Alabama, Alabama named Derek Henry, who won the Heisman Trophy winner. He ended up after school uh, being drafted by the Tennessee Titans he was 250 pounds, and he was massive, and he was very fast. Um, he is, just, they used to call him the freight train or the locomotive because he was, he, he would leave players on the ground as he would, he was just so good at running and stiff arm, he was a smash in the mouth kind of thing. And uh, that idea of being identified by a term like locomotive or whatever was a way of describing his ability. It wasn't necessarily his given name, but it was a name that described him. And this guy's name, Onesiphorus, uh, means profit bringer. He was a guy that was able, it seems, was very aggressive. Um, he was the kind of guy that made things happen. Um, we see that on occasion sometimes in our society. You see somebody, I think of Steve Jobs or maybe uh, other people who have started companies who have, uh, in just a short amount of time, amassed a, a big corporation and done real well. And uh, that seems, as I look at his name and look at that, uh, to see seems to be the idea. The question is, how did he get that? That was common to be slaves. Was he a slave? And it, the text doesn't say, and you kind of have to read between the lines. But if he was as aggressive and as good as he as it seems to indicate here, and we will mention that a little bit further on because he was very aggressive in wanting to see Paul and helping him and he was fearless in that, then um, perhaps this guy was not, it was not real unusual for a slave if he was doing something to a mask. I mean, not everything he did, he had to give away. He would, he would be the property of a person. A lot of people, slave owners, would let their slaves accumulate wealth to some, some degree, and they could get enough money to buy their freedom. And that could have been what happened to him. He could have bought his freedom, uh, could have gotten a, a wife and family. It says a household. Of, of Onesiphorus, and so he evidently, evidently had a, a family. That household 
Sometimes it's used to include not just the family, but some servants that were part of the household that took care of it. So it could have been that as well. His name is also mentioned. Let me go through that because we're going to spend some time in this. His name is, we're in chapter four, but his name is also mentioned in chapter one. And you will remember this, uh, where Paul is talking to Timothy about not being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and how everybody has deserted him. And then he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, the Lord uh, grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered. So here is a second passage. And in this passage also, the reference is made to his family. Here it's called house. I mean, the, yeah, the Lord have mercy on the house of Memphis, on Onesiphorus. But both places, Onesiphorus and his house or family, and we're not sure whether it would include any kind of service or not, is mentioned. And we're not sure why. Some commentators believe that he died. And this is the, these, this is the family that's left that uh, his legacy around him, if you will. I'm not sure that that's the idea because uh, he's asking that honor be shown. Uh, usually you show honor to the head of the house. I think one of the reasons why, here's, you can picture in your mind, Paul is in the prison in Rome, but Timothy that's getting this letter is in Ephesus where Nesiphorus and his family would live. And that's uh, about 1,500 miles distance. That's a long way. And uh, it's possible that, and we'll look at that in a minute, it's possible that Onesiphorus was a, Onesiphorus was a person who did a lot of traveling in his, his business. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty certain of it, the way it's worded. And so it's possible he just wanted to be sure that Onesiphorus received this word. So he's giving this, this blessing and asking God to pour out his blessing on him and his house. Uh, we'll look at that a little, little more in detail as we go into this, looking into his life. But here is this, this man, Onesiphorus, and the text in, in the first verse says that he often refreshed Paul and was not afraid of his chains. And when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. And so here is this, this uh, request by Paul to grant mercy to him, to him and to his family. And I think to a large degree, his family was responsible for enabling Onesiphorus to come. Um, if he traveled a bit like that, you, you don't like to travel alone. And I think he probably had several, again, I'm painting with a broad brush. I don't know uh, the details, but I'm thinking he probably had family, maybe some sons or boys maybe even some servants that went with him. And so Paul is thanking the whole family for their faithfulness. Um, that's one of the possibilities coming. Anyway, the text makes it clear that Paul is extremely grateful to this man with his name. He's Asian. It's an Asian name that has the idea of bringing profit. And um, he has shown great kindness to Paul. And Paul is very thankful for that. And um, some, just in reading, trying to find out what others thought about him, there are 
ecclesiastical traditions that state that he was one of the 70 disciples, ultimately a bishop of Corona. But there's no evidence for that. And I'm not, I don't know that that's the case. I, I really don't know. I know a lot of times, sometimes churches, like, like the Catholic churches that claim to have um, the finger of John the Baptist, or I know that one church thinks they have the three skulls of the three wise men. And uh, I mean, you can really go overboard with this kind of stuff. And I think it's just a bunch of nonsense. We really don't know about this church tradition, but we do know that he was faithful and he was instrumental in working here with, with Paul to try to encourage him and help him. Let's look at that. I, I want to just read um, out of chapter 1, backing up from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, where Paul is writing to Timothy. Remember, this is a letter not to Onesiphorus primarily, but to Timothy. And throughout the study, he's encouraging Timothy to be faithful and not to be ashamed, not to be timid, but to and not to abandon his responsibility. He's really trying to encourage Timothy. This is what he says in 2 Timothy 1, 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So join with me. Don't be ashamed. Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. It's God who has saved us. He called us the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ to abolish death and brought about life and immortality, the light through the gospel, for which I was appointed as a preacher and apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things. So I'm appointed as a minister of the gospel, apostle, uh, and because of that, because I've been preaching, I've suffered these things, but I am not ashamed. So he keeps talking about not being ashamed. He keeps talking about being willing to suffer for Timothy. He says, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him Retain the standard of sound words, that is, retain the sound doctrine which you've heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, and guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So two things he said to them. Hold on to the sound doctrine and protect the ministry that God has given you. Hold on to it. Don't abandon it. And that, by the way, just in passing, say I study the Bible and I do this to teach. But as I'm reading this and studying this and going through this passage with you, it is a passage that God is speaking to me about because I can tell you that the tendency in my life is to be sidetracked. It's easy for me to be sidetracked. I told you I identified with Demas because he, he loves the world. He loves the things of the world. And that's attractive to me too. That, that distracts my attention from the Lord. And uh, so it's, I know what that's like. And I know what it's like to, to easily be sidetracked all kinds of distractions and things like that. So this, this speaks to me to hold on, as Paul tells Timothy, it could be the letter to Peter, to Peter Jones, to uh, guard what has been entrusted, retain the standard of sound words, hold on to the sound doctrine, stick with the, the truths of Scripture, and guard, protect what the ministry that God has given you. That's not a ministry that, that, I could be, that I could have that is of greater importance and carries a greater uh, seriousness than what God has placed in my lap. And for me to look to other things or to be sidetracked to other distractions, 
is is a serious serious distraction. If you understand what I'm saying, it really is. And so this is a this is a this speaks to me as well as to Timothy. He goes on to say, "You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant uh, mercy to Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. And the Lord granted him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. So here's Paul, primarily writing to Timothy." And he's contrasting Timothy now with those others, contrasting the, the to Timothy, the example of Onesiphorus against the backdrop of all the others who have deserted. You see what I'm saying? In other words, you've got this whole group of believers, and, and I've mentioned it before and I will say it again. I don't think the other believers were just backsliding and saying, you know, I'm so sick and tired of Paul and what he's doing, and I, I don't want anything to do with him and just let him rot of end. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's that they knew going up there to visit him, to make contact with him there under under Nero, who was a fanatic anyway, and his regime was almost taking their life into their own hands. And so they just, just like probably I would do, and probably you would do, it's easier to stay home and pray for him than it is to go up and risk being incarcerated, risk being endangered, identifying with somebody that's, that is probably going to be executed. And so they, they found it easier to stay back with the exception of this one man, Onesiphorus. Uh, he did. He came. And he was not ashamed of Paul's chains. Again, that's against the backdrop of the challenge to Timothy not to be ashamed. And he was not ashamed. And he often sought out Paul for the purpose of refreshing him and encouraging him this problem of avoiding um, suffering, avoiding these things, and trying to take it easy, sticks with me and challenges me, and I think it challenges Timothy. And he's telling Timothy, instead of instead of just protecting your ease and comfort, you need to make sure you stick with sound doctrine, and you need to make sure you protect the ministry God has given you. Hold on to that, even if it's. Even if it's hard, even if it means suffering, hold on to that. Retain that standard of sound words. Um, guard the treasure, the responsibility that God has entrusted to you, and don't drop it. Don't let it go. Don't leave it. So here is this challenge that we see in this text. The content of that challenge in that verse, let me read it to you. First of all, he says, and I'm just going to, I don't know how else to do it, but just to read through the verse, just a little section at a time. To make sense. So he starts out by saying he often refreshed me. That idea of refreshing me, I guess, carries the best idea of he cooled me. Um, with his visits to the apostle in the heat of affection, of, of affliction, in the heat of persecution. Uh, I know what it's like when I'm at Lowe's, uh, and I have last several weeks, they've asked me to go outside the London Garden in the morning, and I'm sitting out there in the register, and it's hot sun, and it's hot out there. We have a fan down there, and I have that fan on full blast, and whenever, whenever there's nobody there, I stand on the fan. It's not cool, but it feels cool, but sometimes a breeze will come through and be a cool breeze, and it's really refreshing. And so what he's saying here is Paul is in this dungeon going through this, Horrible 
punishment, this persecution, and he's a good man. He didn't do anything wrong. He's been treated as a vile criminal. He's there amongst dirty prisons in a dirty environment, chained. And uh, there he is. And here comes this door. The guards come and open it up. Here comes this guy, Onesiphorus. And he comes in and he brings a candy bar or two, maybe a Mount Dew or something, and cooling him and refreshing him. And um, he's supplying some of the necessities, some of the raiment, coming to encourage him, maybe giving him a little bit of money that he can buy something through the guards. Uh, and uh, it just answers to the name that the name, his name, Onesiphorus means to bring profit. And so he's just doing that to, to Paul. And Paul says, that he often refreshed me. Uh, that idea of often means that he did it frequently. It was not just a one-time thing. He was not ashamed of my chains. Um, to be ashamed or to be embarrassed, that, that would be kind of a scourge in that situation, to be treated as a criminal like Paul was being treated, to be dirty, uh, to be associated with that. Could place you, perhaps, in jeopardy. But Onesiphorus did not stop because of that. He did not fear because of that danger or that association. He was not ashamed. The word ashamed, let me just go through several passages where it's used to give you an idea of how it's used. It's used uh, to speak of God being ashamed of men in Hebrews 11, 6, um, where he's talking about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham, by faith, went out and got another country, went to a far country, and uh, talks about that God has his people who are willing to forsake and to seek the Lord by faith. And it says, as it were, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed or repulsed or, or disgraced to call these people who come by faith brethren. I mean, for God to call us brethren, he's stooping to the very lowest possible level of stooping to identify with me or you. But he's not ashamed to do that. He's not embarrassed to do that. If we, if we belong to him, if we've come to him, he is glad to associate with him. Same kind of idea in Luke 9 where the word is used. Um, he was saying to all of them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. That's a hard thing to do, by the way, just in passing, to put Jesus first. That, that's part of what it means to be crucified, is that I die to self and are alive to Christ. Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. But what is a man, what is a man profited? If you're talking about profit and loss, what is a man profited? if he gains the entire world and loses or forfeits himself. One translation says, so, but whoever is ashamed or repulsed or embarrassed or is by association of me, in my words, the son of man will be ashamed, embarrassed, uh, repulsed by identifying with him when he comes in his glory. You see what I'm saying? So he's saying, don't be ashamed of Christ. Don't be embarrassed to be associated with him. Sometimes we are. I'll have to say sometimes I have been too, and I know what it's like, but I'm embarrassed about that. Peter had, had that situation where he was ashamed of the Lord, and that's a very, very, very serious lapse in which doing the Lord is kind of his greatest need and crucifixion, standing before the, the, the false trial 
uh, Peter was being questioned by people, and they said, I never knew he even used it, cursing and swearing. He gave what looks like clear evidence he was not a disciple by his language, but he was. He denied his Lord. But God's merciful and gracious. Jesus told Peter, even before it happened, I prayed for you. When you turn around, not yet, but when you turned around, strengthen your brothers, strengthen your family. And the word ashamed is also used, and you're familiar with this. If you if I, if I hear the word ashamed, I think about this verse almost always by Paul in Romans 1 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know that verse? I'm not embarrassed of the gospel. I'm not, I'm not belittled by my association with and my proclamation of and my support of the gospel. But it's the power of God, salvation for deliverance to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the righteous man will live by faith. But that word of shame, while it's used in many places, is really concentrated by, by Paul to Timothy in this one little letter here. He's encouraging Timothy not to be ashamed. That's one of the big messages here, Paul has to Timothy. Let me just read a couple of verses. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. I'm sorry, 1, 7 and 8. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, Paul writes to Timothy, but of power, of love, and of discipline. He's not given us the spirit to be timid, but of power, love, and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed or embarrassed at the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So there is that. Don't be ashamed, but do this. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed by association, but rather be willing to suffer for me. It's almost like, like that if you're, if you're ashamed, you're ashamed because you don't want to suffer. But if you're willing to suffer, then you're going to endure this, this, some kind of shame, whatever. That has happened. And all of us know what it's like to be belittled or whatever, in one way or another, by somebody in our association with Christ. But that's okay, because he's still the Lord. He's still coming back, and he's still going to set the final, final uh, counting. In 2 Timothy, another passage which used in 2 Timothy uh, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, For this reason I also suffer these things, and am not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed by humiliation, for I know whom I believe and convinced. He is able to guard what I've entrusted him. Here again, Paul is saying, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I suffer these things. I'm not ashamed, not embarrassed, and not humiliated, because I know who I trust in. I know that. And I put my faith in him. In our text, there it is. Uh, he tells Onesiphorus, uh, all in, who in Asia turned away from me among Phygelus and Hermogenes, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed. Or embarrassed my change. All of this, all of these, this reference here is to encourage Timothy not to be ashamed, not to be embarrassed, but to realize there is suffering, there is difficulty, but it's worth it. Find one more verse, um, 2 Timothy 2 15, be diligent to present yourselves to prove to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who's not embarrassed, a workman who is not. Uh, uh, going to blush when you stand before God. That's that's the ultimate time. We don't want to be ashamed there. We'd rather be ashamed, we'd rather stand with the Lord and not be ashamed before the Lord and not be ashamed of people. Let, don't let our timidity cause us to turn away from the Lord. I, I really think that we can accomplish a lot more for the Savior if we're willing 
for it to be willing to lay aside any kind of embarrassment, willing to lay aside any kind of timidity, and just really do what we think is right. I'm, I'm, I struggle with my conscience. I, I struggle with obeying it because I, I, I know what it means to disobey. I know what it means to harden my conscience, not listen to it. And that's a concern for me, and I'm really trying to, to listen to it, maybe fanatically, but not fanatically, because I've, I've ignored it in areas some, sometimes so often that I'm having to relearn that in my life. And so it's really, really important. Back to our verse, uh, he, he says when Onesiphorus was in Rome, um, which is a reminder that he was probably an aggressive business person and he traveled a bit, um, his family was in Ephesus. Maybe his family was with him in his triple traps, trips, or maybe he had some of his children with him. Um, we don't know for sure. We're kind of speculating on that. But we do know that he came to Rome, and we do know he lived in Ephesus, and, so, and we do know that's about 1,500, depending on how you go by sea. If you go by sea, it's an expensive voyage, and the, the ships usually will make will dock different ports so they pick up supplies and stuff like that. And sometimes you have to change vessels from port to port to port, uh, and it does cost a bit of money. And uh, But if you go by land, you have a long way to go, and you're crossing over a lot of territory. You go way up and come way back down and cross them over. So it's a, it's, a, it's a monumental trip. But he made it. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know, I don't think the text is saying he made it to Rome only to visit him. But I think it made the point that he did visit him when he was there. And, um, and so whatever reason, uh, it says he, he eagerly searched for me and he found me. And, and I, I think that statement, eagerly searched for me, um, again, I'm reading between the lines now, but it seems to be saying to me that when he was doing these business deals, his heart, while his heart wanted to do the business deal, while he was making the money and making whatever contacts it was, his heart really was wanting to stop by and see Paul. And he did it eagerly. He did it aggressively. And he did it, uh, we're going to see there, often. He said he often refreshed me. He, often, he did it many times. That, that includes at least three and maybe includes six or seven. I don't know. I don't know how long it was. Paul wasn't in prison years and years like that. So, But they could have been frequent, like maybe every once a week or something like that. And, and I can just see Paul uh, there in that vile, smelly place. And here comes this guy, Onesiphorus, with, you know, with, you know, a colloquial gummy, a couple of candy bars, maybe a Mountain Dew or something like that, to give him maybe a Big Mac or something. And I brought you here to sit on the eat and to take care of it. And Paul expresses his great, great appreciation for him. Uh, he eagerly searched for him. He did it. The, the idea of the word eagerly means diligently, uh, so that he, and, and it wasn't just that he knew where to come, it was that he searched for him. He went and inquired and found out and did, this, did his homework. I, I make visits just to let you know how, how lazy I am. I make visits to the hospital sometimes to, to visit patients. And to be honest with you, like I had a couple from Lowe's that uh, Joanne and um, James Skinner, and he was uh, real sick. And I told her, she, he, and now I think he didn't want to know the Lord. So I was going to go by and see them. And he was in the, the uh, intensive care. 
And so when it went by, they, they didn't have a, it, if there's no record for them, they say, well, good, that takes care of that. They get that out of the way. I had nothing I can do. But that's not what Paul did. I mean, Onesiphorus did. He searched for him. He made sure that he found him. He didn't just quit. It's easy to quit. But you, if you quit, you don't accomplish what needs to be done. You don't, you, don't, you don't bear the fruit that you want to bear because you quit. You want to do the homework, and you want to put forth the effort, and you want to, if it's not there, you go and find out from the desk where they move them to or whatever and try to make the time to go by and see them because it could be eternally important. And God's glory could be, uh, I wouldn't say it's state, but it can make a difference in people's lives. And so you want to take that effort, put forth that effort. And so here is this, this uh, picture here that uh, he eagerly searched for him, searched diligently, uh, and uh, found him till he found him. And, and again, not to paint a false picture, but that reminds me of Matthew 18, 12. If you remember, you don't need to turn to it, but in Matthew 18, 12, here's Jesus talking about a shepherd who has sheep. And the shepherd brings the sheep in at night, brings them into the fold. He has a hundred of them, but as he brings them in and counts them, he's missing one. And so he leaves the sheep in the care of the under-shepherd there, closes the door, and he takes care of it. He goes back out. And, you know, you can do, not, and I'm thinking about this from my vantage point, it's easy to say, well, I'm missing one. Well, let's have some time of prayer and we'll pray for him. And that's a good thing to do. It is a prayer. And if I were going out and look for him, I would ask the Lord to help me find him. But it is enough to pray. This, this shepherd went back looking for him, and it doesn't say he looked here and there and called him, here, sheep, sheep, and couldn't find him until he goes back to his own. But the text seems to imply that he looked and looked until he found him. You've seen, and I've seen, too, pictures of that shepherd leaning over a cliff, holding on to a firm root of a tree, and leaning with his, you've seen that, I've seen it, too, the long crook, shepherd's crook, reaching down to get that little lamb out of the neck, so he Kind of pull him up, get him in his arms, and bring him back safely. Otherwise, he's there on the edge of that cliff, he's going to be dead. And uh, so um, the picture is of the love of the Lord for us to bring us to himself. But that picture also is speaks to me about Onesiphorus and his determination to find Paul. And so he searched eagerly until he found it. If he hadn't found him, it wouldn't have made as much difference in Paul, but he did find him. And uh, so it makes a big difference. And it says in, in that verse, it says, he often, which has the idea of many times refreshed me, often many times came with those little gifts and that encouragement and that fellowship just to sit down and talk and have a prayer time of prayer and do that stuff. He often did that. He often refreshed me. Um, And this is in spite of the possible association of persecution. He was not ashamed of my chains. And so he, he braved that storm. And he didn't fear the, 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 the authorities. He didn't let that fear control his actions. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew what he felt like he should do with Paul. And so he went ahead and he did it. And he looked and he searched and he found. And uh, it's amazing. Fear can stop us from doing a lot of things. 
Um, he, he prays here finally that Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. And this is the first of two references, by the way, in our text to the family. Uh, here, is, here in this verse, it says, the house of Onesiphorus, back in chapter one, it says, Lord grant to him kind mercy from the Lord. Um, and to, the, let's see here. Uh, yeah, in, in reference to his household. It's house here, chapter one, household in our in our passage. We sort of call it the household of Onesiphorus. But he refers to his family or to his household twice. And and I have labored there as I'm looking at the text, and maybe I'm just trying to paint a story that's not there, but I'm trying to figure out why does he say household there? And I don't know for sure why he does that. And why does he say, ask the Lord to pour honor on his life? give honor to him or show mercy to him um, to his family um, and I went looking at passages that talk about God's mercy I looked in for one of them stuck out with me was was Jude where in the book of Jude Jude writes in, in Jude verse 20 this is 120 but you beloved build up, building yourselves up in the most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, that's his coming back. And have mercy and have mercy on some who are doubting and save others, snatching them out of the out, and on some uh, have mercy with fear, hating even the garments glued by the flesh. Could be possible, maybe, that he's saying here that Onesiphorus uh, may have been kind of a borderline disciple, not real strong, and he's praying that God will show mercy on him. Uh, when he dies or his family and stuff, but I don't think that's the case. I don't. I don't. When I look at Onesiphorus and see his aggression and his work, his ministry, he tells uh, he tells Timothy, "You know very well the ministry he had in Ephesus. He was he was maybe taught a Sunday school class. I don't know. I'm sure he was gone a lot. Um, I don't know what it was. It's possible. Also, I was thinking about this, and I've seen this in churches where somebody is real gifted." real smart and, and uh, has studied and they, they have a good uh, grasp of their education they're able to articulate themselves well that the pastor or the leadership of the church will say you just made for the ministry and they'll do anything they can to push them into the ministry and if they go out and leave them and don't don't give themselves to the ministry to go out and become a business person they'll think well they've missed the real calling of their lives but you see god knows the calling god knows what he wants them to do they don't they don't know what god wants them to do what what this person wants them to do but they, the, this person is working with a lot. I think of my son because I know that they, they, was, they tried to push him into the ministry, but he really felt like he wanted to go into this business. And, and uh, God may change that. But you can do that. You can, you can project on somebody else what you think they ought to do, but you don't know what God wants them to do. And it's possible that uh, there was a, maybe a disappointment in Cyprus and going into the business world. And uh, there might have been disappointment with the Lord have mercy on him or whatever. But I don't think that's the case. Uh, I I think, really and truly, I think that was, I I think pretty, feel pretty certain that Osiris was an aggressive go-getter. He was a person that made things happen. He was good at making a profit. According to his name, probably a slave that I'm thinking uh, that that's that's the most common way of of being associated with him. And bought his freedom, and now the 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 entire church um, in Ephesus is is um, 
he's kind of behind him, and Paul is writing the church, and he's writing Timothy, and he's wanting this message to get to Onesiphorus and to his family. And uh, Paul is really looking back and looking at these visits of Onesiphorus, is really indebted to Onesiphorus and to his family for what they've done. Um, speaking for me, from my experience, I really appreciate the church here and the people here that have really poured out love on me far, far, far more than I deserve. We have girls that teach here Wednesday nights, and I have labored on that and prayed on that. Lord, can we do we have a church big enough that we can give them a break and have somebody else teach it for a while? You see what I'm saying? Or on Sunday night, the Sunday morning, Sunday school. And yet they're still there, years and years and years, and they're still faithful. How can I repay somebody like that? Even though they're doing it for the Lord, I want to show my appreciation. I don't have an ability to do that. I don't have the, the capacity to dish out money or whatever like that. I don't have that, but I can do that. The only thing I can do is pray. And I kind of think that's what Onesiphorus was doing. He, was, he wanted to show his appreciation he was in prison. He couldn't do anything, but he wanted to show his appreciation and the blessing on the house of Onesiphorus for his family, for the people, for what they had done. And so he's just saying twice, may the Lord pour out his blessing. May he have mercy. May he really shepherd him with good things. Um, and that his ministry in Ephesus, and, and he pointed out to Timothy. He said, Timothy, in the very last verse of that passage, he, he tells Timothy, he says, you know very well what what Onesiphorus has done in Ephesus. And you know it better than I do. You know his ministry, you know his heart, you know his work. And I'm just really asking you to really, really bless him and really pour out your mercy and grace on his life. Uh, asking the Lord to pour out his mercy and grace on his life. So here's, here's this guy. I'm going to stop with that. Here's this guy, uh, very aggressive. Um, he was not, there's no reference given to him being involved in discipling. No reference to him being involved in teaching or preaching, no reference to him other than some church traditions, which I don't place a lot of, not strong, not strong traditions, just a tradition that he was some kind of uh, bishop or whatever. None of that, just the fact that he was very he was a hard worker and he was faithful and he supported Paul um, regularly in his travels and he went a long way in his travels and seems to be a very impressive guy in that sense. But his heart was eager to encourage Paul, and he did it on a regular basis for the time that Paul was in prison. And that meant a lot to him. It meant a lot to him. And uh, so uh, that kind of gift, that kind of support, that kind of help, it does, it does matter what we do with people. We want to encourage people. We want to help people. We want to encourage them in that walk of the Lord and encourage them to be faithful. Um, and, and Jesus said, if you've given anybody a cup of cold water in my name, you've done it done. To me, I'm going to do that because it's, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to encourage you. So, so. I'm going to close early, so I'm going to close in prayer. Then you can give some song. Father, thank you for this truth and these these words this morning. Thank you for the example of Onesiphorus. What a powerful lesson that has been for me, as you have spoken to me through this man's example and through the debt that all had to him. I really appreciate his heart, his commitment, and the sacrifice that he has made, the danger that he has weathered, the storms he has weathered in trying to encourage Paul, stands out to me today. 
and uh, it's an example to us. Help us to be faithful as he was in that area that you have called him, uh, whether it be in the area as he was of making a lot of money or whether it be in the area of whatever it was. You are the boss. We are your sheep. We are your servants. And we want to obey you and serve you and to put you first. So help us to do that. And I pray that Jesus Christ will be the one that is magnified and exalted through our lives and through our ministry. And uh, we pray this in his name with thanksgiving. Amen.